Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Upside Down. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein, and I'm being joined today by Seven Investing Lead Advisor Max Chatsko. Max, we had a script. We're going to get to the script eventually, but we're going to start by talking about the absolute insanity of the market. Max, do you have whiplash from following this? Like, are you you going to show up in the next episode in one of those like '80s sitcom neck braces? Yes, yes, that a bandage on my head, you know, a whole thing. <laughs> So here's what's happening today, and we'd love your questions and we'd love your comments. A bunch of people are bidding up shares of certain stocks, and they're positioning it as sort of a stick it to the rich thing. We're we're not going to talk about exactly what's going on there, but let's talk about fundamentals and what we do at 7investing. So we're long-term investors. I'm an expert in a lot of companies. Max, you're an expert in a lot of companies. But you can never tell what's going to happen in the short term. Uh, for example, Tesla, Facebook, Apple, they're all reporting this week. They could come out with good numbers and the stock could go down because some analyst, you know, a guy who works at some company who has maybe not much in the way of credentials could be disappointed. That doesn't change the fundamentals of the business. So let's talk about a couple of things. Max, have you been in a GameStop or seen a movie at an AMC anytime soon? No, I have not. I uh, you see, I always see GameStop, and I always actually, yeah, it's just like, oh, there's, it's, I've never been in one. <laughs> so I'm in GameStop pretty regularly. If we're in the mall, my son will want to stop in GameStop, and we go in and we look around, and then we buy games elsewhere. <laughs> GameStop is basically a brochure for buying things direct through your gaming platform or ordering them cheaper on Amazon. Now. Let's talk the positive case here, not the positive for where it's trading now at $24 billion in valuation, the positive for where it was pre this run-up. It has really strong management. It has a a great board of directors. They've done a good job slimming their store portfolio. They have very short-term leases, so they're able to get out of bad malls as the pandemic is changing. And you could have made the case that they pivot, they change their business from what they're doing to something not entirely else, but something adjacent and that five years from now, this is a strong company. That's possible. Best Buy was able to do that. That does not justify being up multiple hundreds of percents. AMC, I would argue, and Max, you're welcome to weigh in, I'm a big moviegoer when there's not a pandemic. AMC was a struggling business before the pandemic. So for them to turn it around, they'd actually have to figure out how to be doing better than they were doing when the world was normal, before companies realized, companies like Disney, realize that they could take certain movies and bring them to streaming. So the world is different for theaters, and a comeback means maybe becoming a place for corporate meetings, maybe becoming part of the education system. It is going to be a long, long road. But let's again, Max, weigh in here. Yeah, I mean, this is similar to, um, you know, again, thinking back, we need to focus on fundamentals, the underlying operations of a business that you're owning in the long term, you know. So the parallel to some of the areas I cover, um, you know, with Joe Biden is now president and people are kind of extrapolating that for every clean energy stock or companies that have been struggling before, you know, November uh, are now suddenly going to do really well because maybe they'll get a three cents for every dollar tax credit. Like that's not going to change how well these companies are run or not run. Uh, So again, think long term. It's uh, not the short squeeze that's going on in in the market, you know, this week for some of these companies, but uh, still long term is, is how we approach our, you know, the businesses that we own. 
We're going to talk the pandemic. We're going to talk the state of vaccines, but uh, we'd love some of your comments. Wherever you're watching this, uh, and this, of course, is Seven Investing Now, if you comment, in theory, it pops up in our comment screen. It, it happens most of the time. We love to, and if your questions can be about the market. They can be about healthcare. They can be about biotech. You want to ask me about retail. Happy to talk to you. So let's talk about investing approach. Max, I cover retail. I cover technology, consumer goods. I look at a company, and, I, and let's pick one uh, that I like, Dollar General. You look at Dollar General and you go, okay, what's their business model? They, they operate stores, those stores get to profitability, they max out pretty quickly, and the company opens about 1,000 stores a year. How are they doing on that strategy? Are they executing it well? That's a long-term strategy, but it does sort of play out in real time. You cover biotech, and I made this joke before the show, but it never happens at biotech that you just like, you're the CEO of you know Max Biotech and you come in and like Fred in the lab calls it. He's like, hey, Max. I was filling around the lab and now I can cure all the diseases. Like, let's get this out there tomorrow. Like it, it doesn't go from zero to a hundred. These are very, very long-term plays. Yeah. A lot of, we get a lot of questions about this, right? How do you value these biotech companies or these drug developers? You can't look at revenue because they don't have any revenue. Forget earnings, right? Um, there's some metrics that are useful, like operating income, usually operating losses and cash burn. Um, but yeah, you have to understand a little bit more of the, the science under the, the platform, what they're trying to do, the approaches. You have to understand what other um, you know, drugs are being developed are already on the market for the same diseases. So it's a little more complicated. Uh, the calculations are different, how you determine what might be a good investment. And again, I mean, developing a single drug candidate takes you know 10 years if you factor in all the preclinical work. So Absolutely, you have to be a long-term investor to uh, to invest in in the spaces that I cover. So it's one of those things where, yes, it's really exciting when the market goes crazy like this, but it's also really exciting if you put money on eight in roulette and it hits. That's not where you have an advantage as an individual investor. Why do we preach long-term buy and hold investing? Because it gives you the best chance of making the most money. Why do we spend an enormous amount of time researching these companies, it's because the more you know, the better chance you're going to have of getting it right. And we don't react to one quarter of earnings, especially in Max's place where there, space where there's not going to be earnings. But let's say today Apple comes out and iPhone sales weren't as good as expected. And they say, yeah, we saw people being a little hesitant to, uh, to upgrade their phone because of the pandemic. Well, that's pretty reasonable. You know, people are husbanding cash. You might see a situation where the numbers aren't what you think they're going to be. So then you evaluate, does this change the long-term prospect? Max, I'll give you the last word on this, and then we'll, we'll grab a question here. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, if, look at it this way, right? If you had owned Apple shares 10 years ago or Amazon shares 10 years ago, well, now when it moves 2 or 3%, you're making a huge, a much bigger gain in your portfolio, right? So, you know, don't buy and sell and get move in and out of positions very frequently. Uh, the longer you own a company and a good business, that's when you actually build wealth. So it takes a lot of time and patience and keeping your emotions in check as well. Orca Swim 2 says, GameStop, is this behavior the sign of a market top or is it a democratic empowerment revolt? It's an outlier. <laughs> so here's the thing. The only advice I'll give, and then I'll let Max weigh in, is if you owned GameStop because you truly thought the management team for GameStop could turn it around, I would think about cashing out because what was your thesis that over five years it would be up 300%? Well, if it's up 300% now, it's hard to see more room for a ceiling. And I don't usually predict a crash, but look, people who are trading stocks like they're playing a game 
almost always it ends in tragedy. Max, your thoughts before we move to healthcare? Yeah, I mean, I understand that sentiment and what's going on, right, based on uh, some of the posts on Reddit. But the thing you have to keep in mind, eventually people are going to start selling because they're going to lock in their gains and take their profits. This isn't a centrally organized event. It's a lot of, you know, there's no leader necessarily, right? So eventually this is going to fall apart. There's going to be cracks here. And then, you know, this is going to eventually come back down to earth. GameStop is not worth $24 billion. That's not saying it could go to $50 billion. I don't know, $100 billion, right? But eventually it is going to have to come back and, uh, you know, face reality. When you buy a stock, remember that you're buying a share of a business. You're not playing a game. I understand there's a lot of people out in there trying to gamify it, but if you're investing to plan for your retirement, to plan for college, to plan for buying a house, whatever it is, you are better off buying good companies and holding on. Again, look at your thesis. If I, if, if I decide, hey, I'm buying this company, and we, we don't think of price targets or sell points, but if I believe, geesh, all the upside of this has played out, there's no more growth here. I don't know with you know with GameStop. If I was an, an owner, and I'm not, I don't believe GameStop is a particularly good company. Though I do believe it has some good things going for it. With that, let's go to our top story. We're we're gonna throw out the usual format. We're gonna do top story, what we're watching. We're just gonna talk about things that Max is an expert on. So mostly, this is state of the pandemic, state of vaccines, where we are. Um, very excited about what's going on. So the pre- President Biden, the Biden administration has upped the target. Their goal was 1 million vaccinations a day, hence 100 million vaccinations in 100 days. They've upped that target to 1.5 million. Max, given the current state of vaccine production and the general disorganization in many states of of administering vaccines, is that possible? Yeah, so I think, you know, what we've seen from around the world, the countries that have done the best at, uh, you know, responding to the pandemic, unfortunately, that, you know, China is kind of leading the world, right? But, you know, a 10,000 foot view is you need a very strong response from the top down, from the federal government down. In this country, of course, we have states and they have rights and then you have cities and it's it's just been a jumbled mess. So uh, without getting too political, um you know, it's hard to imagine we could do much worse going forward. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, yeah, we could probably do one and a half million a day. Um, you know, that hinges on a couple of different things. First, we can't really have any more manufacturing delays. I think we've encountered that uh, so far. And that's kind of to be expected. Um, you know, we're manufacturing these things for the first time. And we need, you know, this is the first time in the world we need billions of doses of something yesterday, right? So the logistical hurdles are, are pretty insane. Um, and second, I think it's also possible because in the next week, um, maybe even this week, um, Johnson & Johnson is expected to announce results from its own vaccine trial. Uh, so that vaccine only requires one dose to be effective, whereas the two approved so far from Moderna and BioNTech and Pfizer uh, both require two doses. Uh, and also the Johnson & Johnson vaccine can remain stable in a refrigerator. So logistical uh, obstacles for that. It's much easier for pharmacies to distribute uh, our doctor's offices and rural communities um, and later also, you know, the developing world. But um, uh, yeah, so hopefully we get that and that'll give us another tool another vaccine to distribute. It'll really help uh, with all of these efforts and plans. So Max, we're assuming the Johnson & Johnson vaccine gets approved. That's based on actual data, right? That's based on what they've told us so far. There's no possibility that they come out on Friday and say this doesn't work, right? And they haven't said Friday. It just seems likely to be this week. Um, yeah, this week, maybe next week. I, I read kind of conflicting things there. Um, so they had a small study that did show it, you know, it, it 
did what a vaccine's supposed to do, we'll say. Uh, so there's a larger, I think, 45,000 people are in this this study that uh, is going to have results soon. Um, so we can't really say for sure. And of course, it's going to be compared to what the other vaccines have done and how effective they were. But, you know, let's say the one dose is 80% effective, right? Maybe it's 90%. I don't know. But I think we can accept 80% effectiveness, um, given that we have, you know, and we'll have three vaccines to distribute. That'll be pretty nice. So, Matt, let's talk about the business, the investor play here. This is not profitable for Johnson & Johnson. Is that they're selling these vaccines at $10. So what's your general advice on sort of people chasing vaccine profits or, or COVID-19 profits? Yeah, we talk about this a lot, right? Um, you know, and some stocks have run up in price because they're seen as, you know, quote, pandemic plays. Um, so Johnson & Johnson, I'm pretty, I think it's the largest uh, pharmaceutical company in the world, right? Um, so Johnson, this is absolutely not a big deal for Johnson & Johnson. Um, but it's not a big deal for Moderna and other companies where this is their only source of revenue in the short term. Um, so, yeah, it means very little to Johnson & Johnson. Um, but in the broader sense, in a more indirect way, just um, getting the pandemic over or moving past, you know, the worst cases that we've been seeing over the winter, uh, maybe opening up the economy more. That would help other parts of its business. Uh, it just released earnings from the fourth quarter and its medical device division was down. People are postponing elective procedures. So. Um, vaccines in general and putting the pandemic behind us in general is great news for a lot of businesses, including Johnson and Johnson. But yes, don't buy Johnson and Johnson stock because it's going to have a vaccine, you know, uh, for the next year or however long this takes. It's not a sustainable source of revenue. The Johnson family owns the New York Jets. I'm actually surprised they want people to uh, to be out in public. <laughs> no, that is a joke. Not a joke that they own the Jets, but of course they want that's, people to be out in public. That's two Jets jokes this morning, Dan. I don't know. <laughs> Take that, terrible football team. <laughs> hey, so, Max, you also have Merck. They're dropping some of their COVID-19 products or, or pipeline. What's what's going on there? Yeah, so that's another good example, right? Don't buy companies just because they're, uh, you know, have some pandemic or, uh, you know, COVID-19 vaccine or antibody or drug they're developing. Um, Merck just cut its pipeline for COVID-19 in half. I think it was working on four drugs. Now it's only two. It had two different vaccines. Now it only has one it's developing. Um, so, you know, a good example of, you know, things can go wrong or, you know, not work out in clinical trials. We, we can't guarantee that, uh, the science. So, so realistically, does this just become logistics at some point, if they can make enough vaccines, is this a case of the government, you know, working with Amazon, Walmart, Starbucks, whoever it is, CVS, Walgreens, and just sort of letting this happen? Cause I know right now here in West Palm beach or Palm beach County, Publix is handling it. And while there's definitely bumps in the system, I'm seeing seniors be able to get appointments, maybe not the day they want, maybe not as close to their home as they want, but it does seem like private business. And tell me if I'm wrong, Max, and Publix isn't a publicly traded company, but if I go get a vaccine uh, and I'm already there, maybe I go in and do some shopping. And that might not benefit a grocery store that much because you're just shifting your shopping, but that might be a good thing for any of the other, you know, CVS, maybe you decide you need some candy bars or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think all things considered, you know, every day, every week that goes by, it's going to get easier, right? Because more people will have been vaccinated. So we're going to start to see these bottlenecks kind of, you know, get dissolve and it'll be easier to go and, and get a, uh, you know, get your first shot or your second shot. Um, you know, someone like me, I mean, I'm in a no risk category. I'm young, I'm healthy. I work from home when there's not a pandemic. So like I'm at the bottom of the bottom of the list in terms of uh, priority. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that I'll be able to get uh, a vaccine, um, you know, sometime this spring. So yeah, I have some 
confidence that this is going to get easier as uh, as time goes on. You're watching Seven Investing now. We would love your questions and comments. Happy to talk about uh, any of your biotech questions, any of your investing questions. Uh, but Max, you actually had a question for me. Yeah. So, you know, you cover retail and, and you love to travel. You talk about traveling all the time. You haven't been able to do much of that in the last year. So, um, you know, again, it's going to get easier as we go on. You, if we do vaccinate all these people by spring, like the uh, federal government is planning on doing, you know, what are your thoughts there? Is that really, are people just going to have so much pent up demand to go out and, and eat at restaurants and, and so, travel to Vegas? Like, is this going to be the, uh, is it going to, is the economy going to recover faster than we're predicting maybe? Or so, so, so yes and no. I think there's a lot of trickiness right now in that. So I'm volunteering at a hospital this weekend and in theory we'll get vaccinated because of that. I will then go back in three or four weeks and get the second shot and volunteer again. Now, in theory, that would let me go see, say, my aunt and uncle who have been vaccinated because they're in that senior citizens group. It doesn't necessarily make it safe for my wife who hasn't been vaccinated because they don't know what level you could spread the disease if you've been vaccinated. So it's yes, the second I'm vaccinated, well, like a month later, I'm going to Vegas, but I'm still going to be really careful. So I think you're going to see the economy open slowly. And then there's parts of the travel economy. Look, Disney World can't reopen closed hotels quickly. Cruise lines can't restaff their ships and get the boats out quickly. You know, you, we also have to figure out a mechanism for proving we're vaccinated. I've seen some healthcare friends that have their little cards. It's like a, you know, printed piece of paper. I have a Mac on my desk. I could make one of those. Like you're going to have to see, you know, some level and there are privacy concerns there. So will it be a registry? Will it be a sticker on your license? Who knows? Um, but just like, you know, there's thoughts that you're going to have to be vaccinated or prove that you can't be to get on a plane, the mechanisms for this need to exist. So I think it's a little bit tricky. But Max, as I get vaccinated, how how much should I be scared about these new variants? Is this like, you know, when the bees get really angry and they, they become, you know, weaponized bees and all of a sudden we're going to have like coronavirus at six feet tall with a bat outside my door? Like, like how much should I be worried about the new variants? Yeah, so we've been hearing about mutations here and there since the pandemic started, but um, you know, so far or up till recently, anyway, um, most of those mutations haven't really mattered too much, right? They didn't make vaccines less effective or antibody drugs less effective. But now we've seen a certain variant coming out of our first identified anyway in South Africa. So it's called the South African variant. We can change the name if we want, whatever. Um, but uh, it actually is changing. The mutations are occurring on the spike protein. So the spike protein is what's on the surface of this SARS virus. Uh, it's what gives it pandemic potential in the first place, right? This is why we're in a pandemic because of this tiny little spike protein. Uh, so when parts of that mutate, you know, that's what the um, vaccines and antibodies are actually designed against. So if parts of that mutate um, and the, the right parts mutate, then it could make vaccines less effective. Uh, so we've already seen Moderna come out and say, yes, actually, this new variant um, does make our vaccine that we've designed less effective. And they're working on a booster shot designed specifically for this variant. Um, so, you know, it's uh, something that we should be watching. Um, I think the vaccines will have some level of protection uh, against all these variants anyway. But, you know, instead of 95% effective, maybe it's, you know, 70 or 60. I don't, I don't know the real numbers, so I don't want to get too so, carried away. But. So, Max, you, you mentioned uh, booster shots. 
is this going to be like the flu where every year you have to go get a new, slightly different flu vaccine, but it just becomes, it's really easy to get a flu vaccine. You know, they're, they're the flu shot there. You, you don't even have to make an appointment. I could just walk over to target half a mile away and have one tomorrow. I can't do that because you don't take two vaccines in a week, but um, just, just as a warning to people, but is, is that going to happen here? Yeah. So, you know, I, we've seen a lot of comparisons to, you know, the seasonal flu uh, throughout the pandemic. Right. Um, one of the things that comes up a lot is like, oh, well, these mutations, it's just going to mean that, you know, we're going to need a vaccine every year, right, for this coronavirus. And that's actually probably not true. Um, yes, there will be some mutations as we're seeing, but I think eventually we'll have, you know, maybe two, three different types of vaccines. And that'll be enough to give enough people enough immunity that we won't have to have this keep coming back every year. Um, so, you know, just to explain a little bit of the science of it, right, the seasonal influenza is there's a tremendous amount of diversity uh, in, in influenza. So we've all heard things like, you know, H1N1, right? H3N2. Well, the H's and the N's are different proteins that are on the surface uh, of the influenza envelope. So if you did all the math and you knew all the subtypes, there's actually 198 different types of influenza strains, right? So you could live, you know, as old as a Galapagos tortoise, right? You could be super old and never actually encounter all the different influenza strains. Um, so there's much more diversity. That's what makes it very difficult to like, we couldn't design one vaccine that just works against all flus or influenza strains. Uh, there's too much diversity here for the coronavirus. There's only one protein. It's the spike protein. Uh, yeah, there can be some mutations here and there, but I think eventually we'll be able to constrain it enough and give enough people immunity. Um, so it shouldn't be this recurrent thing, you know? Um, and, and an example of that is actually that these vaccines that we have now, would actually be uh, effective against the original SARS from the early 2000s uh, and also MERS, right? They had the same, a uh, very similar spike protein. So, um, you know, that is what gives coronaviruses pandemic potential. So I think it's a very different, uh, it's an apples to oranges comparison uh, between the vaccines for, you know, the flu and the coronavirus. So it's good that news. Max, you're making me feel nostalgic for SARS and MERS, two terrible diseases that at least were not all that widespread. So, we're going to do something ridiculous. So, so the, the top of the show, we were very, very heavy. The second half of the show, I've got four stories for Max. Three of them are real. One of them is not. So I'm going to throw out four headlines with a, a little bit of background on each one. Uh, and then Max is going to argue with me which one is the fake story. As we do that, uh, we'd certainly love your questions and comments, anything you want. We are happy to, to answer your questions, take your comments. Uh, and of course, you're watching 7investing now, which is brought to you by 7investing. What do we do at 7investing? We make long-term stock picks. We evaluate companies and we go, this is our best pick in the market. Not our best pick to do well today, not our best pick to rocket ship to the moon in a month or whatever the, the, the people talk about on Facebook, well-run well companies that we believe have a long-term chance to do really, really well, three, five. 10 years from now, think long-term. So Max, I'm going to throw these out. I'm going to do my best to do, to, uh, to, to hide my reactions here. Just for the record, I did, I read the stories on the sheet, so I know what you're, I don't, but I didn't look them up. So I honestly don't know um, which one's real or fake. So. Okay, so the first story is Target drops Chaoka coconut milk over allegations of monkey labor. PETA has actually said that the company has been exploiting monkeys and lying about it. Um, Max, it should not make you think this is the fake one, that the name of the company is the Thepin Dung Porn Company, 
coconut company. Dung porn is generally not in the name of a company. I'm going to assume that that locally makes perfect sense. We will get to the comments uh, after we do this. Uh, the second one is Pizza Hut has added a new bacon crust pizza. The crust is 48 slices of extra thick applewood smoked bacon woven together. It's also the first fully gluten-free crust offered by Pizza Hut. There's no bread. It's just bacon. Coca-Cola has launched Coke with coffee in the U.S. Uh, there's going to be two, two types here, Coca-Cola with coffee and Coca-Cola with coffee zero sugar. Uh, they're going to be in the ready-to-drink aisle. There's also going to be multiple flavors, dark, bread, dark blend vanilla and caramel. I, I can't decide if I want that or I know. And the fourth one, American Airlines has launched a wine club. The new club lets you order the wine you drink at on board for at-home delivery. You get three bottles for $100 a month. Max, talk out the logic here. Which one's the real story? Which one's the fake story? All right, as crazy as it sounds, I've heard about concerns for monkey labor in other industries and things. So I think that's probably a true story. Um, the one you just talked about, what, American Airlines and wine. Everybody sells wine. Uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Seven Investing. Are we launching a wine club soon? Is Simon watching? <laughs> and like when you're on a plane, there's always like that catalog. You know, there's like the how to make your seat into a flotation device. But then there's the other one where you'd be like, buy a watch or buy some wine, right? That sounds like wine would be in that. Oh, you haven't flown in a long time. That catalog went, uh, went away many years ago. But um, oh, okay, dang. Um, Pizza Hut crust. I don't know. They're always doing stuff to crust. That sounds kind of plausible. Coca Cola, though. Didn't they just nuke them? Then they got rid of Tab. They're going to add coffee now to their coffee, like Coke and coffee. That doesn't sound, I think it's the Coca-Cola coffee, but I might be wrong. Is that, is that the fake story? No, it is not. Uh, pizza Hut has not added a bacon crust pizza. That that, okay. That, now, now here's the thing. They should, and <laughs> but Coke with coffee is a great idea. I just thought, so I'm pointing this out. Wait, you and, would drink Coca-Cola and coffee? What kind of a lunatic are you, Dan? I think I would try it. I've actually been limiting caffeine, so I probably – I'm not sure I would drink caffeine-free Coca-Cola with coffee. Why do we bring this up? What's the investing angle here? The investing angle is sometimes a really ridiculous story can move the needle. And if Pizza Hut really was coming out with a bacon crust pizza, that might move the needle for Yum! Brands. But even if it's a 2-3% sales driver, it doesn't really fundamentally change the brand. So it's sort of a lesson – that you've seen it in fast food, you've seen it in retail, these kind of gimmick launches, the Starbucks unicorn frappuccino. If you can continually do that, that's good for your business. It's why like a Chipotle, which never used to have limited time offerings, now has some limited time offerings. Gets people to sample your brand, excites your members. Uh, I, I bought two giant unicorn frappuccinos and walked them around the office uh, uh, of the place I, I, I used to work. Uh, so, you know, those things can ex excite people just like, you know, Coca-Cola with coffee, is that going to be the next Diet Coke? No. Is it going to get people talking about Coke and there's a possibility it sells enough to stick around? Yeah, there's a possibility of it, but it's not a fundamental game changer. Even a massive hit like the Doritos Locos Taco, that did not change your strategy on Taco Bell, which is part of Yum! Brands. What does change your strategy on Taco Bell is the fact that they've consistently done that. So they're, they're constantly releasing limited time offers. That keeps people excited. I know that was silly. We appreciate you playing along. I see the questions about uh, uh, Acuity ads. I don't know that one. So we will throw it out to the team on Twitter uh, or feel free to ask us at 7investing on Twitter. Uh, maybe Simon or Steve Symington knows that one. But Max, it's been a quick, fast-paced show. Let's hit our finisher. 
as Sam Bailey brings up the graphic, which mistake has hurt your portfolio most? Most people say selling too soon, almost 60%. Uh, 10% say buying the wrong stocks. 25.2% say not buying. 5.5% say holding too long. Max, for me, it's overwhelmingly not buying. How many times have I liked a stock, talked about a stock, gone public on Twitter about a stock, and not actually purchased it? Uh, sometimes due to ethical rules, uh, sometimes you know, due to you know, maybe what I know about something coming down the pike, and it's just not ethical for me to buy that stock, but mostly because I'm really good at talking myself out of things. Which one was it for you, Max? Yeah, it's the same. I think once you strengthen your long-term investing mindset, selling too soon kind of you know drops down the priority list or the list there. And then uh, you sit there and you're like, oh man, this company is a little too overvalued. I'm not going to buy it. And then four years later, you look at the chart and it's up 500%. You're like, oh no, what did I do? So um, oh, there's another question coming in, Dan, if you want to. Uh, but yeah, definitely <laughs> not buying is usually uh, always you know what uh, what I regret. Yeah, let's close on a silly comment from uh, from Stock Investor. Uh, should I sell my GameStop stop to buy shares of AMC? Just kidding. I don't want either of them. Even if you believe in either of them, it's just not the time to buy. You know, we, you joked before, Max, that uh, that GameStop is now worth more than two Fords. <laughs> you know, no, no, that, Ford Ford is only worth two GameStops. So ah, okay. Ford Ford is only worth two Game. Yeah. It, it sometimes <laughs> wacky things happen. And if you were lucky enough to own one of these stocks because you believed in it, well, your thesis accelerated. It, as I said before, might be time to get out. One of the few times we tell you to sell is when you look at a company, you say, wow, I, I thought they could get to 5,000 stores. I thought their stock could be up 300%. And well, that happens. That is a time to sell. We're going to be back Friday. It's going to be me. It's going to be Matt Cochran. It's going to be Simon Erickson. There might even be more of us. We're going to talk earnings because a couple of little companies are reporting earnings. You got Tesla. You get Apple, you get Facebook. Those are uh, that's part of my taffy groups of stocks. I'm not I'm not sure what the F and Y would be, uh, but we're going to talk earnings. Uh, we're probably going to dig into more of what's going on in the market. Max, this has been fun. Absolutely. See you guys Friday. We, we appreciate everyone for watching. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at seveninvesting.com. We get back to you quickly. You can get access to anyone on the team. Now we can't give you personal investing advice. Uh, but we are always happy to share our opinions. We are always happy to take ideas for the show. We know some segments work, some don't. Not sure the, the uh, which is the fake news story worked. By the way, borrowed that from Howard Stern, who did that with uh, the National Enquirer for many, many years. Uh, but that being said, uh, you can also reach us at, at 7investing on Twitter. We are very active on Twitter. I think I've been more active today on Twitter than I ever have been because there's just a lot of craziness going on. With that, we thank you for watching. With Ma for Max Chatsko, I am Dan Klein. We'll see you Friday. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.